The reading this evening is from Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 16, and this can be found on page 1050 of the Church Bibles. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother's sin, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A good evening, uh, a rather warm and sticky evening. Um, you might uh, find it really helpful to keep open the passage that uh, you had read to you uh, just a bit ago. Um, so it's Luke 16, uh, page 1050. Uh, but let me pray for us uh, before we start. Did Lord, we pray as uh, we look at your word that um, it's recorded in Luke uh, that you would speak to us. We pray. Open our ears to hear you, and we pray that you would help us to apply what you teach us to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're looking uh, this evening at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which in some ways is rather easier than last week's parable of the shrewd manager, which uh, Tim spoke on, and uh, better known probably. But to understand it properly, we need to ask ourselves, Uh, this question. Why is Jesus telling this parable at this time? Sometimes it happens when someone is talking to you that you suddenly realise that actually you don't know what they're talking about. 
Uh, I mean, not in the same way as when your science teacher is telling you about quantum physics. That's quite, probably quite understandable. You don't know what he's talking about. But no, it's in a way that you, you think, well, I should be able to understand what this person's talking about, but it's not quite fitting together somehow. This happens to me sometimes uh, when my wife is talking to me. <laughs> now, it's not her fault. It's usually because I haven't been listening. that ring any bells with anybody? You don't have to be married for that to happen. Um, particularly, it's no good if you're not listening at the beginning. Okay, so, so when she's uh, talking to me, I don't know whether she's talking about the lady next door or the dog. So she says, she's rolling about on the lawn. What? In technical terms, this is called context. Okay, so you need to have something in its context. And so we're going to put this parable in its context. And to do that, you need to look at verse 13 and 14, where Jesus says, No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Pharisees were made to feel very uncomfortable by his saying this, this statement, because they were rich. But more than that, their view was that riches was as a result of their being godly. Keeping all the rules and the laws, uh, some of, or most of which they had made themselves. Being religious. In their thinking, God had rewarded them with the riches. So to say the love of money is not compatible with godliness was laughable to them. They were living proof, though they thought, that the two did go together. But it goes deeper than that still. Their reasoning was this, that wealth and acclaim were signs of God's blessings. They received them from God because they were good, or you did, because you were good, crudely speaking. Now I wonder what you think about that. Are riches a blessing? In this reasoning, then it followed that to be poor was a curse. To be a crippled beggar was confirmation that you were sinful. And this was generally held view. It wasn't just the Pharisees, in fact. So you find the disciples asking Jesus in John 9, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you get what I say? Or at the Tower of Siloam in Luke 13, when the tower fell on some people and killed them, and Jesus says to them, do you think those people were any more sinful than you are? Or the, when he talks about it's, more, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of an needle than a rich man to enter heaven. And their reaction was, well then who can get into heaven? So this view wasn't uh, one that was restricted to the Pharisees. It was quite widely held. This view of riches and poverty and affliction. Now to cap all of that, the man who was talking to the Pharisees, Jesus, was poor. So were all of his disciples. So you maybe begin to see now why they're sneering at him in the context. <coughs> so the first parable, the one you had last week, was to the disciples. This is in response to the Pharisees. Now when people sneer at you, you feel very uncomfortable. I don't know whether that's happened to you, it has to me. 
you're humiliated because you don't know really what it is they're saying about you. You know, uh, what it is about you that suddenly becomes uh, amusing to them. So you can't answer them. Well, Jesus must have been infuriating for the Pharisees because one, he did know what they were saying and thinking and he did know about that and he did, it didn't faze him, secondly. And then he could answer them. And this is what he answers, verse 15. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. So the parable, it starts straight away by introducing a rich man and a poor man. Now the rich man, verse 19, he liked to show off his wealth. Okay, he goes about in purple robes. Now, purple in those days was very expensive dye. So if you walked about wearing purple, you were saying, I'm rich. Look, I'm rich. So he's showing off his wealth and expensive linen, it says, fine linen. So this guy's like somebody who walks about in Armani suits with his Rolex watch. Maybe drives about in a Ferrari. He shows off his wealth. He's even got gates to his property. Nowadays, they would be electronic gates with surveillance cameras and so on. So he lived in luxury. Every day, it says he lived in luxury. He had banquets, drank the finest wine, had finest food, had the best guests. He spent his money on himself and his own pleasures. In stark contrast, at his very gates lies a beggar named Lazarus. And he's in a pitiful state. He's covered in sores, which nobody but the dogs take any attention of. And he is starving. He longs to be able just to have the scraps from under the table of the rich man. My grandson was eating his lunch in our house the other day. He's two. And uh, the dog positioned herself under the table, which was a smart move, since about 25% of the food went onto the floor, into the dog. This poor man longed, do you notice that word? Longed to be as a dog under the rich man's table. <laughs> that was his dream. He longed to be able to do that. But it seems a rich man does not give him a second thought. So here you have, one had everything, the other had nothing. That is the position in this life but now the story switches to the next life. When they die, they end up in very different positions. The rich man now is in hell, or Hades, in torment, and Lazarus by Abraham's side in heaven. Now I need to explain something here because this is a point where we could misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He is not here giving us a description of what heaven and hell are like. That is not his purpose. So you need to take care of how literally you, uh, you read things into this story. For example, the poor man lying by Abraham's side and the rich man speaking to Abraham across the divide between them. What Jesus is doing, and is what he does in all the parables really, is using something that the listeners do understand and know about or believe in to show them a truth which they do not understand. 
a truth about God and his kingdom. And in fact, this is very clever because uh, he's taking, Jesus is taking elements of what the Pharisees would already have in mind when they thought about heaven, about the next life, and using that to show them what God's values are in regard to that. So back to the parable. What it does now in verse 24 is to show why the two men are where they are. So we have this conversation between the rich man and Lazarus. So the rich man in his torment sees Lazarus with Abraham and asks Abraham to have pity on him. Have pity on me. Verse 24. Now I hope you catch the deep irony of those words. Have pity on me. If he knows the importance of pity, where was it before? When it would have been so easy for him to have helped the beggar. He had every opportunity. He was at his gate. He must have passed him every day. But Abraham doesn't throw that back in his face. Simply gently reminds him that he had good things in his life. Lazarus had bad things. And anyway, he could not cross from one place to another. The choice has been made. The rich man chose where he wanted to place his allegiance. He chose the master he wanted to serve. But notice with the rich man, there is no hint in this conversation of remorse or repentance, only self-pity. In fact, he continues to regard Lazarus as inferior to him. Twice he says, send Lazarus, like he was still a servant of his, lower than him. But another aside here I need to explain. Does that mean then that poor men go to heaven and rich men go to hell? Some may like to think it says that, but that's not what it's saying. For example, Abraham himself was wealthy. It's what he did or does with his wealth that's the point. God looks to your heart. Who it is that you serve? And so a poor man can become bitter and resentful and reject God. So it's interesting to note that Lazarus remains silent throughout the whole thing. There is no complaint or accusation from his lips before or after he's taken up to heaven. It's interesting to reflect also that the name Lazarus means one whom God helps because no one else did. So the second request, the rich man now seems to consider someone other than himself for the first time, verse 27. But it's not the poor he considers. He goes only as far as to consider his own family, his brothers. And he wants Lazarus to be sent to warn them, presumably not to make the mistake he made. But Abraham says to him, they have Moses and the prophets, scripture in other words, the Old Testament, to warn them, to teach them. Now those listening to Jesus would know that the scriptures do warn, exhort people, to show pity to the poor. God says that he loves 
that his heart is for the widow and the orphan, for the stranger among you. It would and does show that God looks to the heart of a person. And that would show, surely ring true with anyone listening to Jesus who's telling this story. They would see the justice of this. It would be forcing itself in upon their thinking. But the rich man, he doesn't accept it. He says no to Abraham. The implication being that he is not to blame. Either the scriptures were insufficient, not clear enough, or there needed to be more proof. He wanted more proof sent to his brothers. Presumably someone should have told him to help the beggar, is what he's saying. What he wants in verse 30 is for someone to go back from the dead He wants Abraham or someone to compel his family to believe. Like the Pharisees were later to demand of Jesus, give us a sign. Make us believe. I think you'll find that reaction alive and well today. Make us believe. But Abraham replies, and you can hear Jesus speaking very directly through this, I think. Verse 31, he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Of course, anyone who was reading Luke's account, as we are, will be struck by how true this ending of the parable was shown to be. For Jesus himself did rise from the dead and still the Pharisees would not believe. Most of them, anyway. So, conclusion. The parable leaves you to see the justice of God's values and to weigh up your position against them. We learn again that what God is looking for is a heart whose concern is his kingdom, whether they be rich or poor. Someone who will use whatever they have in his service, not just for their own selfish needs. Someone who even in affliction, affliction sorry, will continue to trust in him. For us, we have what the rich man wanted his brothers to have. Jesus did come back from the dead and he calls us to follow him, offers us forgiveness where we fail calls us to be his people who seek after what God values. But I want to finish with this question that we started with, in a sense. Are riches a blessing? It's all too easy to write off what the Pharisees thought, as if we didn't. But we in the 21st century, do we not consider riches as a blessing? One which maybe we're entitled to certainly one which we chase after. I was watching the Royal Reading highlights the other day, which I enjoyed very much, but I was struck by what the commentators were saying, uh, kept referring to, they kept referring to what they called the A-listers. Did you uh, pick that up? By which they meant the rich and the famous, like Idris Elba, the Beckhams, George Clooney, James Blunt, Elton John, etc. They're sort of saying that these are the top people, the special ones. 
Is the, is the view today then so much different from what the Pharisees are saying? Are these people the blessed ones? In the light of this parable then, would you say that that's how God sees it? Jesus says you cannot serve two masters, God and money. So can we still necessarily think that being rich is a blessing? Jesus turns the Pharisees thinking on its head. If what God values is so very different from that, then might not riches turn out to be a curse? If they get in the way of your knowing and serving the living and true God, now and forever, then they may be the very last thing that we need. And if that is the case, then affliction and suffering might not be what we think they are. Mark 8, verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we pray that you would preserve us from the love of money. And may we instead love and serve you in response to your great love for us shown in Christ Jesus. Amen.